Well, I think I told you uh, about four years ago, three years ago, I was going through a really dark time, and I was meeting with a pastoral counselor. We are talking on the phone, if you call that meeting. We're talking on FaceTime, so I don't know. I don't know if that, what that is. But we were FaceTiming each other uh, every week, and he was kind of getting a you know, picture of my emotional, spiritual, physical, relational health and, and giving me insight. And at one point, he told me, if you don't get a hobby, I'm worried you're going to die. I, some kind of, whether it be professional suicide I, I'm, or physical, like, I, Ricky, I am worried about you. And I was like, oh, great. Okay. So I went home and told my wife that, and she said, why don't you pick up golf? And so I did. And, uh, and I've been playing quite a bit over the last couple of years, and it's really helped. It's helped me with a lot of things. And one thing I noticed is this. In Oklahoma, golf is a whole lot easier if you're playing downwind. I don't know if you know this or not. When the wind's blowing like 20 miles an hour and you're hitting downwind, golf is easy. Because even if it's crooked, the ball straightens out. And if you hit it high enough, it's going to go a long way, whether you're good at this sort of game or not. And you feel like a champ. But one day I, I, I was, had turned into the wind. It was blowing right in my face. And I hit a shot that was high, but not straight. But it wasn't that bad. And if I'd been going downwind, it wouldn't have been a big deal. But it hit the wind and went straight up. And what would have been just a little bit of a fade became this enormous arc. And it did not go in the yard of, oh, beside the golf course. It didn't go on the roof beside the golf course. I hear this loud, it goes over a house, and I hear this loud wham! And I hit a car parked on the street beside a house on the golf course. That shot wasn't that bad. But that's what the wind does. The wind does, it, it wildly exaggerates. It makes a, a, it makes, when you're going with it, it makes a bad shot look good. And when you're going against it, it makes a mediocre shot look bad. And it makes a bad shot disaster. I'm telling you all that not because I want you to go play golf more. That's fine. If that's your application, take off. Um, but because the Holy Spirit is referred to as the wind throughout the Bible. The very first uh, we hear of the Spirit, it is hovering above the waters. It is the breath of God hovering above the waters during creation. And uh, when Jesus talks about the Spirit, he talks about the need for us to be born again. And uh, the, the person he's talking to says, well, well, how can I control that? How can I make myself get born again? And Jesus says, the wind blows where it will. You know when the wind's blowing. But you can't direct it. The wind, the Holy Spirit blows where it will. And once you become a believer, you know which way the wind is blowing. Uh, the wind is blowing toward Christ and his kingdom and his glory. If you'll walk with that, life's a whole lot easier. And if you walk against it, you're always going to be frustrated. And when you get a little bit crooked, you're going to get really frustrated. Please stand as we see that the Christian life 
is walking in step with, in direction with, the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 26. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. I, I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I've warned you before. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. Thus far the reading of God's Word. All men are like grass, and all of our glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but not God's Word. God's Word stands forever. You may be seated. The Holy Spirit is a wind blowing toward Christ and His kingdom. If you're going with Him, you'll bear the fruit of the Spirit, and you will experience the joy and the love and the peace and the patience of the Spirit. But if you're going against Him, you'll be continually frustrated. Uh, what Paul talks about here is this, this struggle is ongoing between, our spirit, between the Holy Spirit, who now resides in us, and our flesh, or our fleshly desires. And, and these are also very much still within us. The Apostle James tells us that when uh, we're tempted, we're tempted by our own heart. Our own desires drag us away into temptation. That, that, that flesh that's around us, it's always there, and it's always pulling and primarily is pulling through uh, this word desire. Look at verse 17. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. Now, that word is, is, is important for us to latch on to, desires. And the problem with it is it's just so incredibly vague. And the old King James used to uh, translate it, the lusts of the flesh. And that was probably worse because everybody just thinks about sex when they hear that. And it's much broader than that. And it's a very strong word. It's a word that's used throughout the Bible. And it's, uh, it's epithumeia, if you want to know the Greek there. Um, justified my education. It is, uh, thumeia is just a word for a, or for a desire, for a want. And epi is the word we get hyper from. It's a hyper desire. It's your driving purpose. It is the thing you want that you believe 
is your functional Savior. It is the thing that you want above all things. It's the thing you want above all things. And usually it's a good thing, but you just want it so badly that that you begin to sacrifice things for it. You want it so badly that you never even notice that the Holy Spirit's blowing you a different direction altogether. And it, it's, it's something you want so badly that it's that it just leads to, to corruption. Uh, it's, it's easier to use illustrations of it than really to, to describe it. It's like, um, I don't know, let's just say you're, you're hyper desire is for a perfect family you know the you know just just to be happy just for everybody to be happy what's wrong with that well you know who usually gets in the way of your family being happy your children and so what do you do when they are getting in the way of the perfect happy family you yell at them Right? You're in, the, you're in the grocery store just buying groceries to make your family happy because what you want more than anything else is for everybody to be happy. And this two-year-old sees something bright and pretty and doesn't even have object permanence yet, so when you turn the corner, thinks it has disappeared forever and starts screaming because he wants it, and he wants it now. And you're getting embarrassed. And not only is this shopping trip now miserable for you, but everybody around you is thinking you're a terrible parent. And you're not a terrible parent. And to prove it, you start yelling at your child. It's an epithemia. Hyper desire is more important to you at that moment than your child's well-being. It's the only thing that matters. It's, it can be your job. And it's not just the job. Now, I don't want to love my job that much. Nobody really loves their job, but it's what you're doing with your job. And everything that gets in the way of me earning this particular amount of money, or really, for most men at least, I don't know women. I've never been a woman, so I can't tell you. But for most men, it's you know, kind of the, the status you make for yourself. And, and the, the, who you are. And you begin sacrificing everything that gets in the way. Right? And you, your, your time, your children, your friendships. Um, people who are, have been dear friends for many years go into business together. Now all of a sudden they're, they're enemies because they got in the way of what I want more than anything else. It can be your own private kingdom, um, kingdom of joy. It can be um, vacation. I, uh, <clears throat> a few years ago, I was in Mexico, and this woman, it was a incredible resort kind of place that is so nice that all it really does is make you miserable when you're not there. And... Uh, we were getting our, you know, made-to-order breakfast eggs, and the woman in front of me wanted her egg just a very precise way. And this woman behind the counter, who's a great cook and a wonderful human being, making all of like $4 a day, is trying her best 
to make this egg. And the woman is so frustrated and frustrated and starts raising her voice. And, and finally she just says, you should really learn the language. Like, you're, you're in her country. Do you, like, you know this? Like, they didn't go to a foreign country to get her. You came to a foreign country. But she was standing in the way of my perfect vacation. I think you get it. That epithumia, that, that, that desire that's just never satisfied. And even when we do get it, it, it's never enough. It's never enough. Let's look through the, the works of the flesh real quickly. They break into a few categories. Sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality, that's all uh, under the big category of sexual sin and sexual desire. And uh, the thing about that is it's, it's obvious. It's, it's just using another person for your own pleasure. There's no love there. There's no grace there. There's no desire to uh, bless this person or make them uh, anything better than who they are. You just use them as an object uh, to make yourself feel good. If you are, have been caught up in, in pornography during your life and you still find that haunting you, uh, one of the things I would recommend is when, when Satan tries to bring those images back into your mind, instead of like, forcing yourself to not think about it, because there's nothing more futile than trying to force yourself to not think about something. Um, just pray for, for, pray for the people in those images. Just pray for them. Right? They would get some dignity and get healed of, of whatever it is that's enslaved them into this in industry. Um, Satan doesn't want you praying for them, so he'll take them out pretty quickly. Um, works of the flesh. The other, what's next? Uh, you could put the next category under uh, greed. Um, in, uh, where, I'm, where am I? Idolatry, sorcery. Well, that's... Uh, depending on other things. Idolatry is, is uh, cre- worshiping the created thing more than the creator. Sorcery is, is kind of the whole big category of witchcraft, which is real. Um, and you should, if you need me to tell you, don't practice witchcraft. Okay? Don't stop and get your palm read. That stuff's real. Okay. Uh, enmity, strife, and jealousy. What fits of anger and rivalries. What's that? That's all... Uh, pride. You don't deserve that. I do. You didn't deserve to get that acclaim. I did. How dare you not know who I am? Somebody introduced themselves to me and said, are you a pastor yes, in, the, in the presbytery yesterday? And I was like, am I a pastor in the presbytery? I founded this presbytery. I was so stupid. I just started beating myself up for that one. Um, I didn't say it. I never really say it. Um, Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. What's, what's that? That's um, using, it's gluttony. Uh, too much alcohol, too much substances to, to uh, abuse. Just that constantly seeking after a good feeling. Just, just constantly trying to make yourself feel better. Um, and and that enslaves us because it's never enough. Our brain constantly adjusts to the new normal. Um, it's one of the reasons why uh, all drugs are so addictive, because it becomes the new normal. And 
you want to do it again and again and again. There's a, a book that was written on the, the, what's the word I'm looking for? Neuroscience of addictions called It's Never Enough. And uh, we recommend that to you if you're curious. But that's the enemy within, right? It's trying to build our own kingdom, that thing that we have to have. And if you get in the way of me having this, then, then I will have to eliminate you or you've become my enemy. And then the problem is when we get it, it's never enough. And so we're always seeking after it again and again and again. It's Super Bowl Sunday, so I get to tell this illustration every Super Bowl Sunday, right? Tom Brady, after his three, uh, three Super Bowls, two Super Bowl MVPs, goes on uh, 60 Minutes. 60 Minutes wants to know what makes uh, Tom Brady tick. And, um, and he's talking, you know, about uh, to Mike Wallace, I think. I can't remember who he was talking to. But he says, you know, I, I realize that most people would look at my life and go, you, you're at the top, man. This is, that's all there is. You've got, you know, two Super Bowl MVPs. You're, this is as good as it gets. Uh, but I tell you, there's got to be more than this. There's got to be more than this. And the reporter says, well, what do you think it is? And he gets this really lost look on his face. And he says, I wish I knew. And it, for those of us who've never won Super Bowls, it's easy for us to imagine that that would be fulfilling. But for the ones who have, they say there's got to be more than this. There's got to be more than this. We're, we're, we're fighting against the wind when we're seeking our own kingdom. We're fighting against the wind when we live for our own comfort. That's not where the Holy Spirit is blowing. Where is the Holy Spirit blowing? The Holy Spirit is the ally within us. And this is the good news. We're not doing this on our own. We've got the Spirit within us. And the Holy Spirit does two things. He, uh, he glorifies Jesus. Jesus says in John 16 that I'm, I'm going to... Don't worry. I know you're worried that I'm leaving you. I'm going to send you the Spirit. The Spirit's going to be within all of you. He glorifies me. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. He wants to bring glory to Jesus. That's why sometimes the Holy Spirit allows you to get embarrassed publicly. Because he wants everybody to see that Jesus is so great, he would save a klutz like me. He would save me. And I get joy out of that when I'm happy with Jesus. I get embarrassed when it's just me being, you know, trying to set up my own kingdom. The other thing the Holy Spirit does is transforms us into the image of Christ. If you have a Bible, open it to 2 Corinthians 3. If you don't, just jot that down as a note and look it up later. But 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this. Well, I'll start with 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. What does the Spirit do? He transforms us into the image of Jesus. He transforms us into the image of Jesus. He is working to, to mold us into that, that beautiful picture. And he works by us beholding his glory. Beholding his glory. What, what does that mean? 
when you behold a person's glory, you're not just seeing the outer person. You're seeing what makes them special, what makes them beautiful. Um, my mom's last days, uh, the, the anesthesiologist came and told her that he wasn't going to be able to perform the procedure they had planned to perform because he didn't think she'd wake up. Actually, he knew very surely she wouldn't wake up. And he said, what do you want to do? And she said, I want to sit on my porch. And he said, smiled and he said, I can give you that today. And he sent us home and she didn't feel very good those first two days. And that third day, the sun came out and she said, I'm ready. I want to go out on my porch. And we got her into the wheelchair and we, and we pushed her out there. And she was surrounded by her family and her friends. And with all the dignity of royalty, she enjoyed that breeze and that sunshine and her front porch. And, and in beholding that, I saw her glory. When, if you want to be transformed by the Spirit, don't just go, yeah, yeah, I know Jesus. Behold his glory. Glory of one who would save a sinner like us. Behold that. And as we do that, he, we're, we're, we begin to turn and walk in the direction of the wind. And he begins to bear fruit in our life. Uh, love. Love is serving a person for their good and for their value, not using somebody so that they can bring you uh, affection and make you feel better. Joy. It's, f it's fascinating that the pathway to joy is to not seek it. The pathway of joy is, is, is love and it's seeking Christ. And as we love others and we seek Christ, we receive joy. The greatest joy you'll ever know, it comes from loving somebody else comes from loving someone else. Peace, confidence, and rest in the wisdom of God. Patience. I love the old King James Version, long-suffering. Suffer for a long time. Uh, it's ability to take trouble without blowing your top. To suffer joyfully because you know that, what you're, that, that there's something better coming. Kindness. Uh, trying to do things to make someone else better. You're able to rejoice in another's joy. Uh, integrity, goodness, honesty, transparency, faithfulness, uh, loyalty, and courage. Uh, utterly reliable, true to your word. Humility, self-forgetfulness. Just you're not even aware of what you're getting out of a relationship. You're not aware of what you're getting out of this or that deed. You're just aware of others. And as you, the more you're able to, to lose your, your, your self-knowledge, the more you're able to lose that self-awareness, the happier you are. If you don't believe that, you should, you should watch me dance. If I've really lost all my self-awareness, which I can't really do anymore because I've told too many people, but, you know, when I dance, it's a full celebration of my ness. And it's a mess. It's awful, but it's fun. It's a complete loss of self-awareness and self-control, the ability to choose the important thing, um, the, what, what ought to be done, the urgent over the important. 
And these are all one. This is not a personality trait. Yes, some people are born uh, seemingly more joyful, but if they don't have self-control, if they don't have kindness, then really they're just extroverted. That's not joy. Uh, joy takes joy in, in, in someone else being happy. It's one fruit of the Spirit. And it comes from within. It comes from the work of the Holy Spirit when we're pursuing Him. So how do we get it? What's the, finally, what's the, what's the final kind of step? He says, keep in step with the Spirit. Okay, how? That sounds weird. It's hard to preach on the Spirit because you, you think I'm, you know what I'm talking about and there's probably no, no phrase, no word been more misused than spirit. It's almost always wrong. You know, somebody's spiritual. Nobody wants anybody religious, but we want somebody spiritual. I used to watch Blind Date. They would say that kind of thing a lot. And uh, he's so spiritual. What, what do you mean? Do you mean weird? You mean like he's got this personality that he doesn't seem to really respond to things, but he's like, oh, like, hi? What do you mean? What does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Does it mean I kind of close my eyes and, you know, what? what? Well, he actually tells us. He says, those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. There's that word again, that epithumia, your hyper desires. He's crucified the flesh with its hyper desires. Now, I used to think, and I'm sure if you go to Sermon Audio and pull up a sermon from like 28, 2008, uh, I thought that meant kind of starve your sins to death, like nail it to the wall and watch it die a slow, miserable, painful death. Um, I don't think that's it. I don't think that's it. Paul, this isn't the first time Paul uses the phrase crucified, right? He says, I've been crucified with Christ. Put it on Christ. Take your hyper-desires and put them on Christ. Put them through the, the crucifixion. See them through that. And, and let him transform them. Typically, you're going to go back and do the same thing. It's not like if your idol's having a, happy fa a perfect family and you crucify that desire, you put that desire through Christ, it doesn't mean you're going to abandon your children, right? But it means you're going to love them through Christ without concern for how they make you feel about yourself that day. And you're going to be able to, to listen to them and, and notice them and not see them as obstacles to your joy, not see them as steps to, to make you look good. If you put your, your job on the crucifixion, then you're able to see God in it and see how he has sanctified you through it. And maybe those, those promotions you didn't get that... Uh, sparked so much envy and jealousy within them. If he would put his son on the cross for me, then he's not with keeping anything from me that would be good. He's not keeping anything from me that would be good. I, I love that call to worship, and for the, there's a million different reasons. But one of them is that last verse, he, be, he withholds no good thing from those who love him. You believe that? He withholds no good thing. He's given you his son. Let that change the way you see what you have and don't have. 
is through Christ. He's given you his son. See what you have and don't have through the crucifixion. You can trust him. I, I do feel like sometimes we get really frustrated we feel like there's just this enormous obstacle, this wind. It's always keeping us from getting to the, the love, joy, peace, contentment that we think the Lord has for us. It, we're just not quite getting it. And it may well be that we've made decisions in our life that have just turned us away from that. And I'm not saying anything's wrecked. Don't get the wrong idea. But I do think we need to see how the Lord's going to redeem those decisions by being willing to turn toward Him and say, okay, this is probably not where I ought to be, but I'm here. Father, will you show me how to glorify Jesus here where I am? Please pray with me. Father in heaven, uh, honestly, sometimes I just don't know how to say what I think this text wants us to be said. And it ends up coming out kind of vague and inspecific and I fear useless. I pray, Lord, that you would take these words and, and apply them to all of our lives. I pray that we would see both now and in the times past when we've turned against the wind and we've been blown off course. And I pray, Father, that you would show us how to get back on course now and not just direct our day-to-day our -day life, what we do in the, in the particular day, but our overall direction. Would you help us to see how our overall direction could be turned toward you? Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.